time Vince Russo was on WCW? <laughs> it's craziness. Brought to you by <laughs> Snacker 2. Hey, guys, how's it going out there in Geek Vibes Nation? This is a uh, weird random Saturday edition of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. If you guys are new listeners, uh, this is not the day that we normally do the show. We usually are on Wednesday, 7 p.m. EST, every Wednesday night. We break down wrestling from the last week. This has been a long show coming, uh, folks, because, you know, uh, me and Chris have been talking to each other, obviously, about uh, a little thing called AEW Double or Nothing. Uh, what side on the spectrum you are, either the greatest thing of mankind and the greatest wrestling ever, or the drizzling shit, because that's apparently how Twitter works. Um, maybe we should just not get so extreme, is, is, is what I'm getting at. But we've talked about it. Uh, we've enjoyed it. We're going to go over TakeOver. We're, of course, going to talk about the John Moxley interview on Talkus Jericho. But before we get into all that, let me introduce my co-host. Uh, you know, just chilling at his house right now, probably next to his cats, Christopher Brother Ray Patton. How are you doing, sir? Oh, you nailed it. I am next to my cats. <laughs> I am doing great, man. I have not been this excited to talk about, in quotations, sports entertainment in a long time. I'm really looking forward to the show. How are you doing, bud? Just chilling, enjoying my Saturday, good sir. And, uh, you know, I'm having a, having a good time. Um, just ready to talk about some stuff. I, I, I just think that we're still at a, at a, at a, uh, a point um, – because of the pay-per-view last week, and I don't want to speak on behalf of you, but I'm pretty sure that you're kind of with me on this, where I feel like I'm in like a, uh, I don't know, this AEW smiley glow, if you will. Like, I, I, I you know, we talked right before we went on. Uh, guys, we're not coming to Ron SmackDown, mostly because nothing happened, and the reason why I know that is because I watched both of them, and I have no idea what the fuck happened on any of them. So I remember Brock Lesnar with the, 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 uh, the, the boombox, and that was uh, pretty much enough for me. Um, but Chris, uh, do yeah, you feel don't, the same way, man? Yeah, man, don't sleep on the Brock party though. I'm I'm down with the Brock party. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> if they fuck us uh, this Monday because they announced this Money in the Bank title cash in, if they fuck us out of this match, I see a lot of viewers leaving. And I will say that it was the fourth lowest rated show in modern history for Monday Night Raw, and you can say it's on Memorial Day and. Make all the excuses you want, but fourth lowest rated show in modern history, and that includes two Christmas shows. Uh, so basically, the second lowest rated show of all time. So figure shit out. Love Brock. Don't fuck us on the Brock match. Like, give us a Brock versus Seth match. Promote it. Make it important. And uh, that's pretty much all I got to say about Raw and SmackDown. I mean, like, I, SmackDown was fine. I thought it was a good show. You should watch it. I don't think we need to fucking recap it, obviously, but. It was a uh, it was a decent show, but yeah, <laughs> Raw really fucking stuck in my crawl with the first hour and thirty minutes being angles, no actual wrestling, the terrible Shane McMahon promo that just went forever, the crowds chanting "This is boring, this is awful," AEW, AEW. and it just kept going. It just kept going. So like, uh, and and then obviously Sami Zayn dropped AEW later in the night. But it doesn't matter if the crowd is already chanting AW at the owner's son. Like, it doesn't fucking matter. I mean, it matters to Vince, I guess, but, like, honestly, it doesn't matter. So, uh, bad Raw, decent SmackDown. I thought it was fine. Raw had shit ratings. SmackDown did okay. It wasn't terrible. But outside of that, I don't have a lot 
you know, it, it was just a bunch of like, hey, we're doing a show in Saudi Arabia on Friday, but we're not allowed to talk about Saudi Arabia. So we're just going to say <laughs> we're doing a show a next week. <laughs> yeah, like um, <laughs> outside that, man, I'm question to listeners out there that are, that might be new to our uh, programming. We don't dislike WWE at all. Like just like most people, we want. I feel like, oh my god, I feel like a DC fan. This is how I am with my comic book movie show, or at least how I was. I would be talking as, on behalf of being a DC fan, wanting DC to do better with Warner Brothers, and people being like, "No, it's fine." I mean, being like, "No, it's not." You can go fuck yourself if you don't believe that. But I'm. We don't want to make personal attacks. On WWE, we it, it's kind of like what Dean Ambrose said. If there is anything that can come from AEW as a way towards WWE, instead of people thinking that they want to be an exact competition or go up against it and just – they're trying to do their own thing. And if anything, if they can get their creative drive in WWE to change somewhat and change that machine of what they have going on, stuff that has been complained upon by wrestlers countless times, going back to Punk to now fucking Ambrose – and before that even, of just how micromanaged everything is, how corporate WWE has become past 2005, you know, or, or even probably before that, when they started really picking up and becoming a, a, a huge company, a, a billion-dollar company, there's a lot of stuff with the writers that has hindered stuff, Vince kind of standing by himself when it comes to the main person controlling everything, uh, the way the Jedi mind tricks – but it doesn't matter. We'll get into all that. That will be pretty much the second conversation that we go over because we're going over AEW. We're going over the John Moxley interview, and then we'll hit NXT uh, and just give our, our uh, assumptions on the awesome WWE show that's not a fucking main show that's going to be on tonight uh, with NXT TakeOver. So, like I said, if you're yeah. a new listener, we don't hate WWE. We just – we're being honest, and that's how most of the people I think are out there. In the world, we want it to do better. Would, would, it, it, am I saying everything correctly, you think, Chris? Yeah, you're 100% right. It's not that we hate WWE. We love WWE. We're huge wrestling fans. <laughs> I want WWE to be the best it can be. They have the most talent of any company in the entire world, and watching them digress and single-handedly fuck it up for the past six months has been almost heartbreaking to me. Like, they have such good wrestlers, such good talent. You have Sami Zayn, you have AJ Styles, you have Seth Rollins, you have just Samoa Joe, just tons and tons and tons of talent. Kevin Owens, Finn Balor, Ricochet, Andrade. It's the most ridiculous roster they've ever had that they don't have dick all to do. They have Aleister Black cutting promos in a fucking dark room. Like, I don't think we're unjustified by saying that the last – I don't. I would say six months of Raw has have been kind of shit. And no. And there's only I, two things I that love WWE. <laughs> to me, I feel like the public is really, even though if you have problems with Brock Lesnar, that the beast, uh, you know, the the boombox concert's been great. And I will say that at least the advertising for Bray Wyatt has very much been on point. But still. Due to the fact that I know now a lot more of this information that we're going to talk about with Dean Ambrose, I mean, John Moxley, I'm going to do that periodically. It's, it's no offense to John. It's like obviously we have, uh, you know, I'm used to calling him Dean Ambrose. But anyways, um, I'm not some evil mark or anything like that. Um, but I forgot where the fuck I was going at. I had a good old apology about shit. Um, <laughs> uh, God damn it. Oh, here, I got, I got, I got something we can do. We can, be, we can talk about. Ray is going to be – 
Ray is going to be fighting Vince for control of his character once it goes to main for the writing. So now that I know that, that that's a definite thing, that he's going to try to persuade it every way. All of these vignettes can mean shit when it comes to Bray fucking premiering with this new character of The Fiend. So it fucking sucks. What were you going to say? So, um, yeah, I was going to say, you know, just to put a positive spin on this, I'll talk about just real quick. Austin versus Brett, dude. <laughs> like, I fucking love WWE. We're not against WWE. We should preface no. that because we're going to spend the next hour and a half burying everything that's not NXT probably. But I love WWE. I, I grew up a WCW fan because um, we live here in Georgia, and that's what I grew up on. Like, going back to when I was two years old watching you know, WCW in the 80s. But – um. I, I don't well, want people to think – I don't want people to get the wrong idea about us because, like, no, I just want WWE to be better, to and I think the Bray Wyatt shit's good. I think it's great. I, I think it's really good that they brought in uh, uh, the horror icon. But are creative input on that, like once he actually starts debuting as a wrestler on the show? I'm scared of him being a wrestler on the show because – they don't. They do that fifty-fifty booking shit, and it's bad. He he should be out there murdering people and have children attacking. If, if I feel need like be. he'll be out there trying to feed cotton candy to old people with the mask on. That's what a fucking weird shit that Vince likes to do. Uh, but I will say, here's a creative choice that if they really go full force with this, breaking news. It's probably not that big of a deal, but Chris, you'll probably find this interesting because we've been saying it for a long time. WWE just noted that. Uh, I don't know if they're reporting this as like the, the name of their faction, but the Bloodline, which consists of Roman Reigns, Jimmy and Jay Uso, will be joining forces to go against Drew McIntyre and the Revival uh, this Monday on Raw. They they do the quotation marks around the Bloodline. If they're building, and I think me and you have said this, even though they're on different brands, I think what, who gives a shit at this point? If they're building a faction with the three cousins together, I think that's going to help Roman out because I think they're doing the exact same thing where Roman came back. He seemed like he really had the audience. You know, he was able to act himself, and they made him go back the exact fucking same way. Everyone loves the Usos. So if this is a creative decision they decide to make or actually just do past next Raw and just go into what the fuck ever afterwards, you know, this could be really beneficial. Would you agree with me, or do you see them just using it on Monday Night Raw and just never doing it again? No, I agree with you, and I think this is their – I I I like the the idea of it, but I, I feel like it's a crutch. Because they don't have the shield anymore, and it's a fallback device. And uh, to me, if you're going to do the if you're going to do the bloodline, they got to be heels. Like, I, God, that would be awesome. Every, every every good faction, like if you think about factions in general in wrestling, there's never been a good one that were good guys because fucking good guys don't need a crew to go to the ring. <laughs> if you're trying to push Roman, I mean, I guess I mean they're related, you know, that's cool and shit. But like. It's going to be Drew McIntyre, Shane McMahon, and uh, the Revival, who they've buried openly for the past three months, basically. I mean, I guess they did get the one win over the Usos, but outside of that, like, they're fucking – I don't care about it. I should care more because I love the Usos. I think they are probably, if not the best tag team in the world right now, up there in the top three. Because, like, LAX is really fucking good, and also dim boys are always out there running around. But uh, it's just it, – I like the idea. It's the execution, execution of it, and it also just yeah. seems like, hey, so, let's throw shit at the wall and see if it sticks. 
This feels similar to what I was just saying with that. I'm really excited with the Bray stuff, and I think it's some of the most exciting things to come to WWE recently, but I'm also not excited about, well, they, they're doing this, they built these packages, but those don't have a lot to do with Vince as much as once he actually starts performing live. So it's all about basically the storyline progressions and them actually staying with that and not, you know, mucking it up with whatever the fuck they're going to do with it. But either way, let's talk about fucking AEW. I'm done talking about WWE for the rest of the thing. We're going to talk about them probably, like you said, not really trying to bury them, but, un, you know, it's going to happen. I'm sorry. It's like when you're comparing this, and, and like, I, have ha- I did have problems with AEW, Double or Nothing. I will state them. I've listened to so many interviews with so many people and podcasts breaking this down. I have a lot of different feelings about stuff. But as, as a whole, I really enjoyed the pay-per-view. So, that being said, let's get into this. Um, so, we're going to start with the, uh, the pre-show. Um, all right. So, I'm going to give you all the participants in the pre-show. Uh, we'll go over the first five, kind of like how they did it uh, for the Battle Royal itself. They did it kind of differently. They released five, waited a certain amount of, of time, then released five, and they were all geared towards, you know, the, the, the theme, the Las Vegas theme of clubs, diamonds, hearts, and spades. Yeah, so the first five that were sent out, there would be 21 total because the last person would be the lucky number, and they would come out last. Cool concept. Uh, execution, I didn't really like the Battle Royal. I'm going to be honest with you. I thought there was some cool stuff. I liked Adam Page in it. I thought that everything that wasn't really with MJF, you know, actually I like Luchasaurus too. Some, some people had highlights. Other stuff was just whatever. It was there. Um, but, you know, I think me and Chris have said many a times, it's very hard to pull off the Battle Royal. I, I personally think that the one that they had it all in uh, just – had a little bit more oomph to it. It just uh, was a little more fun to me. But either way, doesn't matter. We have Justin Thomas, MJF, Sunny Days, right here in Georgia, um, Brandon Cutler, and Michael Nakazawa uh, first come out. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it was interesting. Like I said, I think MJF really steals the camera. I know a lot of people. Compared to the Miz, and I think that that is a very good comparison, and actually not really an insult on MJF, because I don't think he's doing a uh, fabricated uh, concept. But I think that he has his heel game on. When I met him in real life, he didn't really say jack shit to me. He was totally giving me the cold shoulder while a couple of his wrestling friends were being very nice and cordial at one of the events that I was at, and I completely got it. He really lives a gimmick. That's fine. He knows how to command that concept. I think he's. Uh, it's, it's very strange that someone his age is apparently so inspired by heels of the 80s, but I find that really cool that he's admitted many times that he likes to go back. He's been inspired by people like Ted DiBiase, uh, Roddy Roddy Piper, um, and you can tell Rick Rude that he likes to get people to boo him. Not a lot of people, I will say, got that much of a reaction other than MJF when he was eliminating people. So I think that that was one of the good things about this. Uh, very interesting with Brandon Cutler. Um, I believe I, I believe Brandon was – it might be Dustin Thomas. I apologize because I don't know those two gentlemen that well. But one of them uh, was an amputee, had both of his legs missing, uh, and uh, had a couple spots. I thought it was funny once again that MJF went directly after him and just started stomping a mud hole to some gentleman that 
doesn't have legs in the corner just to be that much of a dick. Sunny Days was interesting. I know him uh, from his wrestling um, over in Georgian Southern Wrestling, I believe. I could be messing up that. Um, really, really good promotion. Uh, I'll try it when I pass it to Chris to get the actual name of the promotion. And then Michael, Michael Nakazawa. Now, one thing I will say about this thing, and, and stuff that happens to Double or Nothing, and I have no clue if Chris is going to agree with me, there is a lot of smaller, um, lesser-known indie characters like a Michael Nakazawa that has a, a shtick, if you will, of putting oil on himself to get out of holes. Like That's, that's part of his, his buildup. And the crowd that likes that type of wrestling, you know, us, the more insider crowd, and specifically pertaining to people that might be just more less WWE, more indie and, and, and uh, PWG and whatnot, they might know about him. But when you're establishing, I feel – you know, in a business sense, if you're establishing a, a new promotion and this is the free portion you're giving away for people to be able to watch within the battle royal and you don't, and this is going to be a, re- a reoccurring theme and, and a uh, kind of a thing I had a problem with, uh, with the commentary and not so much Excalibur and not so much JR and I, Alex Marvez, he's new at it. He's going to, he's going to get better and everything like that. But when you're not giving backgrounds of people or, or explaining a lot of stuff like that or basically just establishing those type of shticks and things uh, you know, with those wrestlers within your promotion going forward and kind of like giving it emphasis and reasoning, it just kind of comes off a bit goofy. And so to give a first impression to people that are checking this out because they've heard this is you know, this and that and they, they're, they're, they're checking out wrestling for the first time in a long time it might kind of be like, what the hell is going on? So I thought a lot to do to the fact that they didn't have JR and it was Excalibur basically just running down everything, doing a great job. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of even, if I'm going to give a little more constructive criticism, rebranding certain people, maybe, you know, uh, trying new type of, uh, even, even someone like a hangman, Adam page, giving him not, not necessarily a new gimmick, but changing them up to kind of like format it, you know, differently. Um, I, I like the Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy relationship. I think that's interesting. You're going to have to like go into detail about that. But even something as small as possibly Excalibur moving his mask, I know that a lot of people would think that that was unholy or whatever. It just comes off corny to newer fans and you're trying to build something. So that's constructive criticism I think that a lot of people have had. I think that some people that are part of the, you know, being a fan of the promotion are not going to get as um, – into it as me, but I'm just being honest when it comes to me visually looking at it in that perspective. Um, even someone like a Jim Cornette who, you know, was going off all over the place. Um, you know, he had a lot of good things to say, and that was kind of one of the things that I kind of noticed that him and other people had said that maybe getting your best foot forward might have tightening up stuff like that. I don't know. I'll go over the other 15 competitors. We'll do it in fives. But, Chris, the beginning of the Battle Royal, and what did you feel about what I just said about, uh, you know, this being the first interpretation of AEW to a lot of viewers? I, I would say outside of Jericho, MJF clearly proved that he is the best heel on that roster, and they did really good work with him at the beginning of the match and towards the end of the match and then later on in the show, which we'll get into. I will um, – what I will say – just to comment on, you know, a lot of these guys are indie. They designed this show for their fans, for indie fans. I mean, it was clearly not as much as All In, but it's a little tongue-in-cheek. Um, and, you know, if, if people showed up to see Jericho versus Omega, that was cool. But they also were like, we're going to do our own shit. It's going to be fine. Um, if they're going to do a pre-show again and have, 
you know, these, some of these undercard guys that people may not know as much, uh, I would, I, I actually props WWE. Cause I, I hate the shit on WWE, but it actually makes sense. If you're a brand new company, give us video packages, like, you know, not like necessarily the, um, live pre-show shit, but like, you know, tell us a little bit about these guys. Uh, I, I think they could have done that. They could have extended the the pre-show to maybe like two hours or something, and and just did a little more, just introducing some of these characters. Like, I, obviously, there's standouts like Jungle Boy. People know because Luke Perry, MGF, he's been out there forever, just being awesome. And and like Luchasaurus doesn't really need an intro because he's a fucking luchador that looks like a dinosaur. It's like, you don't really need int- introduction for him. But some of the other guys, like you were talking about. It would have been nice to like kind of know a little bit about them, even if it's like 15 second clips or like, hey, this is what this guy does kind of thing. So it's really hard. But what I will say is they're not doing a 50 man battle royal that doesn't mean anything. And whoever won this actually got a title shot. So immediately, fucking already, (laughs) immediately fucking way more important than, you know, the Saudi show. So I can't shit on it too hard. And I thought, you know, Adam Page going over makes a lot of sense. I think that he right now is probably should be their top baby face because you can't push Kenny immediately. I mean, obviously, Kenny's going to get there. Um, and I just see John Moxley as more of a heel. I know that, like, you know, I, fuck, spoiler alert, John Moxley's an AEW, but <laughs> um, I, I just I, I I see him as more of a, a you know of a heel uh, than a babyface. I thought he was always better in CZ, uh, CZW. Got over as a babyface because he wasn't a death match guy. Ended up doing you know the tournament of death and uh, taking the um, fake uh, jigsaw to the face and stuff like like he got over with that shit. But that was never him. Like his promos were always very heel. Like he's crazy. But he's also crazy in the kind of way you don't want to hang out with him. And WWE did the exact opposite with his character. Um, so I think he's probably their top heel, him and MJF. MJF. And then you have, you know, uh, Jericho is still there. I think Jericho, I mean, right now, booking-wise, like money-wise, Jericho is their top heel. But, like, yeah, think about the guys after that. Jericho's 44, 40, whatever the fuck. He's old as fuck. I love Jericho, but he, he is old as fuck. He'd probably agree with me. Uh, but like after that, Walker if you really think about you. the roster, they <laughs> yeah he probably called me a stupid idiot and slapped the shit on me. Um, but yeah, like I I didn't have as many problems with Battle Royal as uh, like Cornette and a few other people. The commentary I thought was fine. It's just more of like here's a bunch of guys, but it, it's their very first TV show or, or pay per view in general. You're not going to know everyone. I think they could have done better introducing them. Like I said, I think you could have done some video packages on stuff prior to this. Uh, but outside of that, man, I, I didn't really have any complaints. The first five, I thought was, I, I, I thought it was like a, or the, the first little group of people that came out. I thought was, I thought it was really fun. The setups were good, and MG, MJF, like I said, comes off like a like a star. Him and him and Joey Janela, like really, to me. Out of out of the guys that you don't oh you haven't Lord. heard of or haven't seen in New Japan, they like they come off as like, hey, we can do this for real kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I just remembered. All right, so we'll go over it actually now because we're going to introduce the next five. All right, so we have the clubs now. We have the Diamonds group that gets released. That's Isaiah Cassidy, um, who I believe Isaiah is a part of uh, Block Party. 
if I'm not mistaken. Um, Brock, Brock and then party? Jimmy. No, not Brock. <laughs> uh, wild card uh, rules. <laughs> wild card. Uh, Jimmy Havoc, uh, Joey Janela, Brian Pillman Jr. Uh, supporting completely bleached uh, blonde hair, which I thought was an interesting look. And then Sean Spears, a.k.a. Ty Dillinger, who got a big reaction from the crowd, I would say, um, which I'm happy for. I'm, I'm happy that some of these guys, you know, uh, especially like I listened to um, Sean was on uh, Edge and Christian and just, you know, it's going to go back to when we get to Dean Ambrose. A lot of people that are disgruntled and different levels of, of popularity within the company of WWE that are getting to rebrand themselves now uh, with this and get an interaction from the audience. So I was happy that he had a pop. I'm glad that Brian Pillman Jr. was in this. It's fun seeing him in stuff. He's so much like his dad. Um, and I have to say the big spot. So the cameras kind of missed this. I forgot they were following instead. At one point, Joey Janela starts smoking a fucking cigarette in the middle of the ring. Jimmy Havoc brings out a, a uh, and I love this. I, I don't mind this type of stuff. I know a lot of people had a problem with it. I thought this was hilarious. A little ECW extreme shit. Actually, a little CCW, if you will. Um, so Jimmy Havoc takes out a staple gun and smacks a cigarette out of Joey Janela's hand takes a cigarette, and staple guns the fucking cigarette to Joey Janela's head while it's still lit. And Joey Janela would get the better of Jimmy and then keep on wrestling with this lit fucking cigarette stapled to his head for a good portion of the time. Fucking crazy. Uh, yeah. So what do you think about these five guys and uh, some of the uh, spots, if you will, within the Battle Royal with their inclusion? I mean, the stable gun spot was fucking amazing. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm one that says like ECW did a lot of really dumb shit, and uh, you probably shouldn't do it. But at the same time, it's been so long since I've seen that kind of thing because I don't like watch CZW tournament of deaths, and there's no weekly ECW, and people aren't out here killing each other with chairs. I thought it was a fun spot, and uh, yeah, man, I. I, I really – I know a lot of people had a problem with this Battle Royal and kind of rated it kind of low, but I thought it was pretty fucking fun. Like, I'm, like it, it's a Battle Royal. Like, you shouldn't go into it thinking it's going to be the greatest thing in the world. You know what I mean? So, I – the Joey Janela and um, Jimmy Havoc, which I love, by the way. I think he's fucking great. They they got to do – I think they should change his character up just a little bit um, because he's been doing that gimmick for forever. Um, it, whether it was an impact or uh, back on the indie scenes over in the UK, it's just he's been doing that shit for forever. And uh, I don't know, just add something to it, little edge or something. And uh, but but as far as the spot goes, I had absolutely no problem with. It. I thought it was a really fun spot. Joey Janela was actually really great. So I'm excited to see what they do with his character in general. He's like he's willing to jump off a cliff like fucking Wiley Coyote if if it is asked upon him. Not even positioned with money sometimes. Joey Janela is a crazy motherfucker. We'll get to the table spot from Luchasaurus in a second. That I thought they killed him. Uh, but yeah, so the next group of people, the Hearts uh, group was Billy Gunn, Glacier, so two legends right off the bat, Jungle Boy, uh, Mark Quinn. And Ace Romero, I believe Mark Quinn is the other member of Block Party, if I am correct. Um, and it's good seeing Billy Gunn in there. My lord, I've been watching a lot of uh, Attitude Era um, wrestling, and you just forget that Billy Gunn is a pretty damn good in-ring performer. And still at his age, you know, not by doing much, can still move in the ring, looks great, 
Glacier was fun to be in it. Uh, Ace Romero, I've gotten very used to because of uh, MLW. He's a great tank. I love the spot that would happen later on once Marco Stunt was introduced, where he literally pounced Marco Stunt out of the fucking ring with enough force to almost knock over the people outside of it. Um, really, really cool spot with him. And Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy just has charisma. Uh, girls uh, like him a lot. Um, so he definitely comes off across with that audience. And his. And I'm going to look forward to, as a not a faction, but like a duo uh, within tag or just having each other's back, the interaction with Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus uh, will be fucking really interesting. I'm actually kind of like, that's a fun concept. It reminds me of something that would happen in WCW that's kind of corny, but I think that the two of them can work with it. And, uh, yeah, we'll go into Luchasaurus and the rest of those guys uh, with the Spades group. But uh, what did you think about this group of uh, individuals? I felt like they positioned them as, like, here are two old vets. They're going to go in. They're going to do their shit, which Billy Gunn did look really good uh, in comparison to when we saw him last year at oh, – I can't remember. It was at the New Japan pay-per-view. He wrestled, like – I think he re- I think he even wrestled, like, Kenny Omega or some shit. Um I think he looks really good. He also made a lot of these people seem very small. I don't know if you noticed that, but Billy Gunn's actually a really fucking big guy. He's still small um, for some of those small dudes, though. That's what's great about Billy. He's down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I'm not. You know, that's not taking anything away from him. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> you could totally tell he's like, this is a wrestler of this time period versus this is a wrestler of the this time Absolutely. period kind of thing. You know, it's like one of those things where it's night and day of what fans of wrestling kind of want or lean to, especially what AEW is going for. Um, but all, all that being said, I think they put the two vets there to see how over Jungle Boy was and see what the reaction was. And if that's what they did, it was very, very smart. And Jungle Boy was, I mean, honestly, probably the most over person in this fucking battle royal, um, which is crazy. And, you know, like if you go back and you look at like old uh, – Edge and Christian, where you get like girls literally swooning for these guys, or like Jeff Hardy and, and Matt Hardy back in the day, uh, that goes a long fucking way. And uh, you know the Luke Perry thing helps, but I, he's good in the ring. I think he'll, I think he's going to get better the more and more he works. Obviously, but I, there's something about that guy. He's got the like he's got a natural charisma about him, kind of like a Jeff Hardy. I'll say that. And I felt like they put him in this group to see like. Let's see how over he is. We're gonna give him Glacier, we're gonna give him Billy Gunn. These are names they know. And let's see if the indie guy is more over. And, and in all honesty, I think the indie guy was like way more fucking over than Billy Gunn or Glacier. Even though it's fun to talk about Billy Gunn and Glacier. <laughs> that's that's what I got out of that segment. And uh that shows up a little later in the card where they're like, We're going to push Jungle Boy uh with the Bret Hart segment, which we'll get to later. Absolutely. And um, I completely agree with what you just said, especially uh, with the Jeff Hardy comparison. I think it's very good, the charisma and just the appeal to uh, a younger audience and also a female audience, which you want to bring that in. He definitely has. I like that Glacier has had a chance, much like PCO. Unlike Billy Gunn, I, I think that we can agree that Glacier and PCO both had decent careers, but it just never really went to a higher level. And now they're going to reinvent themselves. I think more so at PCO, but I, I'm glad to see someone like Glacier, who I saw live recently, be able to get in the ring with some younger dudes and kind of reinvent himself. And now he's a uh, agent for AEW, so that's pretty cool. But the uh, the Spades group came out. Luchasaurus, Marco Stunt, 
Sonny Kiss, Tommy Dreamer, and Orange Cassidy, the great Orange Cassidy, who beat Brian Alvarez worse than sometimes when Dave Metzler won't shut up and Brian's trying to interrupt him. Um, but, uh, yeah, Luchasaurus. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I, I, pop, I popped for the Dave Meltzer thing. It was funny. It's, it's like, Dave, we got like five minutes left and you're still talking. <laughs> Well, you know, because well, uh, uh, you start Kata, just uh, you know, if you, if you look back to 1942 with uh, Luther, he fought the uh, the Great Kabuk, uh in in Albert Hall. Um, all right, anyways. <laughs> but if you, if you think about Lucha Shores, if you think about Lucha Shores, I'm just gonna do a show with Dave Metzler, my horrible impression as him. Um, yeah. <laughs> God, all right. Luchasaurus, uh, I got a complete, and this is a compliment to him. Uh, I know it's probably a lot of people thought about this. Very Kane vibe. I mean, the fact that he was in this, more so babyface Kane when he was teaming up with, like, RVD and, and, and X-Pac on that time period. But he was a monster. He got the most eliminations, I believe, in the whole entire thing, and he was just ripping through people. We got to see interaction with him in, the, in Jungle Boy. Um, but he, the biggest thing, I think, was taking Joey Janela's crazy ass and doing a choke slam and Joey falling through a table that I didn't know was possible, where it just looked like he set him up for a fucking normal choke slam, and Joey somehow bended his body so that he went neck first, opposite way, with his body falling on top of him. And the fact that his, I don't even know if they're together still, but his valet, uh, Penelope Ford, one of the female wrestlers that'll be within w, or AEW, not WWE, um, she was screaming in bloody murder while this was happening. Like, just looks so devastating. I like the the spot with Tommy Dreamer, who's so down to help out wrestlers, no matter what situation. Took about ten butt shots from Sunny Kiss, um, and uh, yeah, just uh, Marcus Stunt getting pounced out of the ring. Uh, this really set up the ending where it was like you would have like a person that would uh, you know do something cool in like Glacier, and then MJF would come out and eliminate them and get completely booed. Like a motherfucker, Brandon Cutler uh, was doing some of his stuff. Uh, you know, got some stuff in off the ropes, some springboards, and then the uh, amputee wrestler got destroyed and thrown out by MJF just to be a dick bag. You know, that's that's what he was doing, and uh, good stuff by him once again. Uh, uh, Marco Stunt, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't get, uh, but you know, kudos to him for being able to do something. I have no clue how small he is. They had a shot of him standing next to Luchasaurus, and it looked like he was like a baby, basically. So a very interesting size comparison concept. But, yeah, I I will say that Jungle Boy, Luchasaurus, and definitely MJF stood out, I think, the most within this whole entire Battle Royal. They definitely got their shit in. Sean Spears, too. I think that Sean um, kind of basically got the audience into him uh, a lot. So that's good. Uh, but, yeah. These are the remaining people, and then the Joker card, the 21st person, was Hangman Adam Page, which, Chris, uh, I think you listened to my show last week. I'm not trying to sound um, vain. He told me, people, that he did. Um, I, I predicted this. I kind of – I said that this <laughs> is what happened with, 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 with Pac, um, which now finding out that it wasn't so much uh, you know, Pac doing this. It was more about companies and them trying to schedule it correctly, and I didn't know that their match wasn't technically for the title but a future title shot. So it looks like Pac will be working with AEW in the future. So I'll try to get past that whole entire concept. But, 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 but Dane, but Dane, isn't it a visa issue? And also doesn't WWE have a working hand in AEW? 
Oh, yeah, never mind. That's actually the correct Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Gr- grassy Knoll. That, 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 that's, that's the Grassy Knoll concept. They're owned by uh, – hey, bro. So, uh, bro, uh, I'm just going to keep on doing my impressions and bring random people for you to talk with throughout the show. Um, what if you had a conversation with, with Vince Russo and Dave Metzler? That that will be the one. Shall, shall Vince, uh, you know, your career's been basically a sham – Highlighted by great TV spots throughout the course of your career. Hey, bro, calm down, bro. It was Vince McMahon, bro. Fuck you, bro. All right, anyways, he loves God. I totally uh, created Stone Cold Steve Austin, bro, in the Montreal screw job. That was my idea, bro. Oh, my God, dude. Don't even get me started on that. You stupid motherfucker. You didn't create shit. Uh, I, I didn't mean to steer us in a weird direction, but I feel like I had to point out the elephant in the room, which is people think. Like, not everyone. Obviously, our listeners, hopefully, <laughs> they're smartened think up. That, yeah, yeah, they're smartened up enough to know that WWE doesn't have anything in AEW. There's a guy named Tony Khan who owns the Jacksonville fucking Jaguars as the NFL team that has this company. They have their own separate TV deal outside of Fox. Like, oh, God. I, I, I'm, I hate that I even acknowledge it, but you can't. You can't not acknowledge it. Um, yeah, so, but that's exactly. all we're talking about him. Like, yeah, no, no, I, I agree with you. <laughs> hey, bro, you suck, bro. Um, if I can learn Disco Inferno, I would just bury myself with his accent constantly. Anyways, uh, we're not we're not going into all that. Like I said, Adam Page comes out. I said this last week. I think this would make sense. You get Adam Page in the uh, Battle Royal. He comes out, wins it, sells his injury. That's not real. Um, and then now he's the number one contender, which gets him to where they need him to get. And uh, I thought it was awesome. It came down to him and MJF. And it was – these are – like I literally said, I go, if Adam Page is not involved in the Battle Royal, MJF will be the person I think that would win because he's the, one of the biggest names and one of the biggest heels within this. So that inevitably happened. Adam Page eliminated MJF, and he's going to be going against Chris Jericho, who will beat Kenny Omega later on the pay-per-view. But, Chris, what do you think about the ending? All right, so I'm going to say this. Uh, Hangman, he was in there for a while, right? Not, like, crazy amount of time, but he saved his finisher. He didn't do, like, I'm going to come all over the place, show up and hit, like, 75 fucking choke slams, and, and then get eliminated. He saved his finisher, and he fucking threw MJF out. And it was awesome. I thought it was really good considering that they were going to push him. Uh, you know, the original idea is Pac's going to win the title and it's going to be Pac versus Kenny Omega. And they had to switch it up. And I think that he's a good person to push. I think he's kind of a pure baby face. Um, I, I agree with you. I think they should update his character a little bit. But uh, it's not like, I mean, the guy's good in the ring. Like, you don't wrestle g1 if you're not fucking good in the ring but that's that's how that's how i look at it um but yeah it's i i really like i said i enjoyed the finish i thought it was really good i um i think it went to the right person based on who they have there it's going to be you know was going to be page versus jericho for the title jericho is probably going to win the title and then you set up jericho versus uh Moxley or Omega after that, depending on what you want to do. But I, I, I thought it made a lot of sense, especially considering um, everything that happened when we're talking about that that heavyweight uh, title card. I also thought, you know, their response to that, where 
Pac couldn't take a loss because he's Dragon Age champion. I thought the response was really well. They were like, well, we just won't fucking, we just won't book him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I thought that was really well done um, because the idea was that he was going to win the title and then he was going to lose to Kenny Omega and they were going to build that out. And he's like, I'm not dropping this title in, uh, for you guys that don't know. Um, I'm not dropping this title anytime in the foreseeable future. So they had to shabash that thing and they still gave us the match for free. You get Adam Page versus uh, Pac if you want to see that. It's out there. Uh, I, you know, I appreciate a wrestling company that's like, this shit's not going to work. Let's just not do it, <laughs> which is good because I don't want to see like a fuck finish on a show that's like, we're going to do sports. There's going to be clear winners and losers, which I loved about this show, by the way. It was very much like black and white, like who wins, who loses. There's no, there wasn't any fuck finishes. Um, yeah, I, I'm getting all uh, excited about later in the card, but fucking, uh, yeah, I, I like the finish. I, I think Adam Page won. I think he's the right person to win. Uh, I think Joey Janela and MJF look great. I think Luchasaurus uh, <laughs> looked awesome as well. I think they can do some cool shit with him. I'm glad that he's officially signed now after that pay-per-view, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where they go. I mean, we got, got another pay-per-view coming up in uh, Daytona Beach, so we'll see what happens. Absolutely. Then we go to the next match uh, on the uh, pre-show. Uh, Kip Sabian and Sammy Guevara. Now, I will say, I think that the audience that Jungle Boy is projected to probably get uh, more so into it as far as a baby face, I think is the same audience that Sammy Guevara is going to get as far as a heel. Uh, I think that he has that, that bad boy it reminds me of a modern version, really much so, and I'm not. Tr- I know everyone's compared to him, but uh, in a very different way of early Shawn Michaels once he became a heel outside of the Rockers. I think that he has that bravado. A lot of people have used that formula and done really good things uh, with. I can't remember, Chris, and maybe that you can because you probably have better memory than me because I don't think you inhale as much. Um, never mind. Um, but uh, there was a spot they did to the outside. <laughs> oh, it was a suplex. Over the rope suplex, and then Sammy continued to suplex. That was something I never had seen. I thought it was very innovative. These guys both proved a lot of great stuff. I would have put Sammy over because I think that he has a little more of a following. But whatever, the heel loses. You put over the baby face. Uh, Sabian blocked a 630 centom with his knees and then went for the Deathly Hallows finisher to finish the match. Um, pretty good stuff. Like I said, I, I see a lot in the Sammy Guevara kid. I, I didn't see a lot of him beforehand, Chris, and I think that him and uh, Jungle Boy will be crossing paths in the future, maybe for the mid-card uh, title if they have something like that. What do you think? I completely agree with you. I, I, I thought it was a fine match. It was a good opener. Um, considering you're about to go to the main show, you're going to have Cody come out and the Young Bucks. It, honestly, it wasn't anything to write home about. It, like, you know, we're going to watch NXT later tonight and there's going to be a bunch of bangers of matches on that shit too. Um, it was an okay match. I, I, you know, it's just a little bit more character development. Um, they tried their best in the ring. It, to me, it seemed like the crowd wasn't that into that match after the battle Royal. It could just be bad placement or whatever. I don't think that's a reflection on either of the workers that were in the ring. I just, it, it just, the whole match felt kind of weird. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought it was 
I thought it was well worked. I thought it was, you know, a very serviceable match considering that you're going to have Brandy Cody and uh, the Young Bucks come out right after. And they probably put them in their spot because that's what they needed to do. Uh, I think Kip, Kip, uh, Kip is great. Um, I, I, I actually, uh, like, I agree with you. I, I, I think that you do have like a heel version you can do and do some kind of run with Jungle Boy. But um, yeah, like, I don't, I don't know. It's just a weird match for me. And probably my least favorite match. Well, no, second least favorite match on the entire card. Because my least favorite match is coming up here in just a second. Yeah, and we'll we'll definitely get to that. Um, I, I agree with you. I just think that Sammy has that. He's got like trying to compare uh, someone that's modern. Because um, if like Sean was rocking almost like a David Lee Roth type of concept with his thing of being like almost like a 80s hair metal lead singer when he first started the sexy boy gimmick with HBK, Sammy's doing it with. Well, I hate to make this comparison, like with a Justin Bieber. I can see Justin Bieber coming out yeah. with panda bullshit yeah. at the beginning, but that's the modern audience. They're trying to connect that very much, like I said, with Jungle Boy, you know, compared to his father, maybe with how Luke Perry was with his, you know, time yeah. period. So, um, but yeah, let's so, get to hey, the uh, real, stuff. real quick, real quick before we move on. Um, if you really, if you want to think about something funny, you realize how good Sean is versus Brutus the Barber Beefcake because they gave him the same gimmick. They're supposed to be male strippers, essentially. They gave him the same yeah. gimmick. One guy got it over, and the other one didn't. And also, rest in peace, Sherry Martell, because she was a great manager. If we're talking about HBK, I throw that out there. Definitely one of the best. Um, all right, so the first match on the actual card after, like you said, Kenny, the Bucks, Cody came up, introduced the show, kind of got cut off. By the ending of the uh, you know the the main, the, the pre-show uh, with the live show, but we start this off. We had a great video package, uh, very 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 well done, um, just very impressive. I, I I complimented Impact on one of their video packages leading up for one of their pay-per-views recently. I thought they stepped up their game. This was even double or triple that trying to compete with WWE, and I thought it was very impressive. Uh, we get our first match which was SCU, uh, Christopher Daniels, Scorpio Sky, and Kazarian going against the uh, Stronghearts, um, legendary Japan wrestler Sima with uh, the Chinese wrestlers of T-Hawk and L. Uh, Liedemann, uh coming from uh, OWE over in China, the new um, thing. Uh, so it would end up with uh, Christopher Daniels pin Litterman with the uh, best wrestler ever, Moonsault, Tombstone combination. But the match itself, and I know Chris had his faults with it. My two biggest things, uh, if I'm going to say something positive about it, Scorpio Sky looked like a monster in this. He is someone that I think a lot of people just look at like – it was funny. Booker T was like, man, you know, I know that he has a Scorpio in his name, but he reminds me of Too Cold Scorpio, the way that he moves you know, and stuff like that, the way that he looks uh, very similar to me. Of Scorpio, maybe I'm just thinking that because of the name Scorpio, but it just made me think about it. I, I think that he has infinite potential when it comes to an entering wrestler. I think he's really gifted. But Frankie was pretty good. Uh, my two problems: I thought Sima was good. I thought that uh, Elitaman, his his uh, strength that he has, really impressive based on his side. These guys, and I watched some of the stuff over there. Uh, you know, they can do this crazy 
very unique, um, different styled wrestling that they kind of inherit through the uh, the Shaolin style of being able to kind of like work off the air, but airily. It's it's very weird. It's crazy. And I think that that and some of the Japanese female wrestling is going to be the equivalent to what we have with the cruiserweight division uh, of all these excellent, unique styles at the beginning of their shows that will lead up to other stuff later on. So I, I wanted to see a lot of that, you know, with T-Hawk and uh, Littman, and I don't think that we got a lot of that. I, I think that we got like a very, very fast-paced tag match where I could not tell who was tagged in a lot of times. I like their new concept that they're going to um i think it's 10 seconds now if you're in the ring as opposed to five seconds so that you have more time to be in the ring if you're a partner so they can do they can actually pull us off uh realistically uh to the match structure itself that's how they're projecting it um and i thought christopher daniels just was kind of lazy about a lot of his performance within the match maybe he was tired maybe it was just a bad night but this is the first thing on your big show and it just looked like he was going through the wrestling match. And I've interviewed Christopher Daniels, and I appreciate him for being on the show. I'm not trying to bury him at all. I'm just giving my opinion. He's a legend. He's older. He's like 46, 47, around the same age as Chris Jericho, actually. One of the older vets within all this. But your two partners are looking like they're, they're killing themselves out there, especially Scorpio. And this is the first match we're getting to see this new style of wrestling with Seema. And Seema did a great job, too. Um, and it was kind of lackluster. I'll just put it that way. But uh, either way, you know, it was the intro match, start off the thing. Chris, what do you got to say about this? So right off the bat, just so people know that we're not like huge Dave Meltzer dick suckers, I thought this match was garbage. I thought it was bad. There's a lot of guys looking for fucking spots the entire match. Uh, maybe if you were there live, you have a different opinion of it, I guess. But watching it on TV, the camera work and how they looked at guys looking for spots did not help this match at all. Um, it seemed like a very, hey, we're going to do a show indie match to me. Uh, I love Christopher Daniels. I think like some of the shit he's done with AJ Styles and Samoa Joe and those guys is amazing. So nothing against the fallen angel. Uh, I'll drink a martini to that. But uh, he did look kind of worse for wear in this match. I thought he was in really good shape considering like the last few shows I've seen him on. But uh, I don't know. The match just it felt off to me. Um, I know they put the vets out there, and I think they, you know, obviously nerves. You're the first, like, big wrestling match on this giant pay-per-view. But, uh, yeah, it's just like I hated this match. I, I hate three-way tag team matches in general. New Japan's kind of killed it for me, unfortunately. And uh, to me, it was like, here's a bunch of guys looking for spots. I like the tag team rule with the 10-second tag in, and, and you clearly defining these are our rules and this is what we're going to go by. I enjoy as a promotion because I think it's good going forward. But I, I just, yeah, like, to me, you had, like, we'll talk about it later, but you had the same layout of a match, and I thought it was way fucking better. Um, later on in the show, and this match was just kind of there, and I was like, is this really, I, I remember texting, I was like, is this really what I'm getting into, like a bunch of guys looking for spots, and that's not what I was getting into, <laughs> but this is my least favorite match on the card, I don't know, a lot of people have it, like, rated way higher than I do, but I thought it, I just thought it was bad, and, uh, you know, whatever, I also don't necessarily appreciate 
Drew McIntyre and people like him. So what the fuck? I just I just thought it was bad. A lot of people looking for spots. If you go back and rewatch it, you, there's like seven or eight spots where Daniels and Kazarian are just looking at the guy for four seconds. And I think that's delivery on the other team, a lot of it, and wrestling that you know more of an American style. But to me, it was you know. When you talk about spot fest, like, uh, you know, Will Ospreay and Ricochet get a lot of shit for that, right? But their stuff is so perfectly timed that it looks good. So if you're going to do it, like, you got to go full out and do it. It's got to be really clicky and work for me. And to me, this will, like, all right, we're, gonna, we're going to this spot. Okay, we're going to go do this spot kind of thing. And I was, I just wasn't into it. Hey, man, I, can, I completely understand. I did. You know, when I watched it a second time, I was really analyzing it, and I think there was a lot of faults, um, especially the criticisms that you brought up. And, you know, like I said, there's this is nothing against the Fallen Angel. I think he's an incredible wrestler, and I was happy that he came on our show and we interviewed him. Uh, extremely nice guy. And um, But, yeah, we're, we're just being, you know, honest with our analyzing within this. So, you know, if this is going to be some of the bigger criticisms uh, within it, you know, that's that's how it is. I just hope, and I know a lot of people said this of different ages. You know, Jim Cornette said it, but I heard this from a lot of different people. I love their tag wrestling. We'll talk about a great tag wrestling match later on. I wish they would tighten up that this New Japan does this, WWE does this. With tag wrestling, it can be fast-paced, but I, I still wish that they would sell more, and I wish that moves that look like they're devastating and impactful – would end matches sometimes instead of just escalating. And that's even in singles matches. That's a new thing with, with the modern wrestling that I wish that out of the older stuff, they kind of would heighten on a little bit. I think NXT and New Japan, you know, a lot of their stuff, not, not, not so much the tag wrestling, and that doesn't happen all the time. I'm just giving examples. Uh, but a lot of stuff that with New Japan and NXT, they, they make sure that people, if they get something, they're down. There's reason for it. And I understand you only have a certain amount of time to go. You got to get your shit in. But at the same time, just being able to – this match really suffered from it. I'll just put it that way, basically. Um, yeah, and, and what I will a- say, just to, just to talk about the point you just made, Matt Nick Jackson, everyone thought that he had a legit back injury, and it was a work. Yep. Forever. Yep. <laughs> like, we, me and you reported on it. We thought he was actually yep. hurt. He worked us all. Like, you can sell and have a good match and still do spots and stuff. Like, like to me, this match was a spot fest. And I thought, not in a I good thought way. Hangman selling the, the leg injury, even when he did his move outside that springboard thing, the, the clothesline, he, he did great. But, um, yeah, that's, that's one thing they'll definitely have to tweak. And with some of the minds that they have within there, whether it be a Dean Malenko, possibly an Arn Anderson, JR, you know, so many of the other guys, I think they'll tweak that, and I, I get it. But we got to the female match. We had uh, Britt Baker, Dr. Britt Baker, Nyla Rose, and Kylie Ray come out for their three-way. Uh, we all thought that was going to be basically it. Brandy comes out, tries to pull kind of, I guess you could say, like a, a Stephanie McMahon. Um, and makes it look like she's going to insert herself within the match. She said that she wants to make this match awesome. So we all thought that, you know, with her being in her gear, that it was going to be her. And then Awesome Kong's fucking intro comes on. And we see Awesome Kong come out. And the place went nuts. I marked the fuck out. And, guys, I mean, I know about Karma from WWE. I know about Awesome Kong. I love from TNA. I've seen her matches. 
But I don't even know about that much of her. What I loved is the fact that she's someone that everyone said was such a great female wrestler that was kind of underutilized in WWE, and it was awesome to see her presented in this way. And, you know, her and Nyla kind of played in this match the role of kind of getting knocked to the side after they did a bunch of big moves, especially uh, when it comes to Nyla. They were kind of sidelined throughout the whole thing to let Britt and Kylie really work on some of the wrestling. And in some ways, if you're going to give Austin Con this huge intro, her being impactful by just getting knocked out and then kicked in the face and, you know, taken out of the match for a portion of time kind of was a bit weak. But when she got her stuff in, she looked dominating. Um, I love the uh, Tower of Doom spot because most of the people, when they powerbomb it, they kind of fall down with it and they look like they're devastated as well, too. And she just didn't give – she just was like, I just took out all these people, screw them. Uh, I thought the ending where Nyla took her out with the stairs actually was good placement. I thought the match was very well put together. Kylie, you know, people are going to, they're going to do the comparisons with uh, Bailey. I heard a weird comment from Cody. I wasn't really happy with, but man, wrestlers say stuff for whatever to kind of get their stuff. So he kind of took a shot at Bailey, but I don't think he was making it that serious, but um, they've been around. I think Kylie's actually been doing this uh, even previous to Bailey kind of picking up his gimmick. So that comparison is going to be there, but I enjoyed it. I love how she perfectly timed having a fucking yellow feather come out as soon as you get that super kick from Britt Baker. Britt Baker looked the best in this match, I think. I think she's incredible. I like that she uses the uh, the OG last shot, if you will, uh, that her boyfriend or maybe fiancé, Adam Cole, used to call the last shot, and now NXT makes him do that for the uh, whatever. That's, that's, that's fine. It's a minor thing. Um, but that's a devastating-looking fucking move. She, she, she just looked great, man. If they get if they get Tessa and a couple other female talents, they're gonna dominate. I think with their female division, they're very much building it up with this match and the later match with the uh, female Japanese wrestlers, pretty fucking well. Uh, and awesome ending. And Britt Baker won. And uh, good on her, man. She's pretty damn good wrestler. It was pretty uh, pretty fun match. Chris, what do you think? I really enjoyed this match. My wife loved it. We watched it together. It was fucking great. It was good seeing Awesome Kong. My wife popped for Awesome Kong harder than I did, which I was kind of surprised about. She was like, it's karma, you know, because she's more of a WWE fan. And I was like, it is. And, uh, you know, considering they booked her in in WWE and, and unfortunate circumstances and did that contract, like she was killing people. So I'm not going to say WWE tried to, like, fuck her up or anything or fuck with her character too much but I thought she was great here she was the powerhouse she was the Braun Strowman like you're not going to necessarily win the match but you're going to you try to kill yourself or kill the other people in the ring and I think she did really great at that I like Britt Baker winning um, as far as Cody and the Bailey comments he came out after and apologized he, he did uh, just so everyone's aware he did come out and say like that wasn't I like Bailey it's not a shot at Bailey it was just a shot at WWE so good on him for like making good on that because it's not like Bailey needs to get shit on. He was more just saying like, how could WWE fuck up this person that was very very fucking over in her own hometown? And I, I get what he was saying because me and you've talked about it. Um, so I like like I said, he came out and said like, hey, I didn't mean this. But, uh, and just yeah, and I, just I, because I'm remembering I, this now, I just want to make because you mentioned that I still want to forget this. 
He also made a comment about the whole Triple H thing. I don't know if I believe it as much, but this is at least what Cody said, and Dean Ambrose kind of backed it up by saying what he interpreted from it, that the whole entire throne thing with the hammer, it was basically him saying, like, he's not going to become the executive. He still wants to be the wrestler. And that was like a symbolism because he liked the way a Triple H did the throne thing. Obviously, it looks like he's just taking a shot at WWE. But, you know, if that's the way Cody's going to do things, as long as he explains it, he doesn't have to explain shit. And he keeps on saying he's not trying to compete with WWE. This is more about doing his own thing and trying to rise better than what they gave him. And, I mean, people are going to interpret things a certain way to kind of steer shit. But, you know, I just wanted to rem- – I didn't know if I was going to remember that later on, so you, you made me that pop that in my head. Yeah. Well, what I will say is uh, they forgot to tell John Moxley because he declared war <laughs> in his promo. It was on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm assuming <laughs> you can take that as he declared war on the heavyweight division, or he actually declared war. So take it for what it is. Um, and I, I would also remind people that Triple H took a shot first at at Cody and AEW. So Cody fucking smashing the throne to me was awesome. It definitely was a direct reference to, hey, fuck you. And the callback for the promo earlier was definitely like, you know, because in the Dustin promo, the buildup to the Dustin-Cody match, he cut a promo on Triple H. So there's definitely heat there, and I don't think there necessarily was to begin with. But, you know, them calling calling AEW out of the Hall of Fame just because Billy Gunn was there, I, I don't think they really appreciated that shit. So I have no problem with it. You you shoot first, you get shot back at. It's just one of those things. Absolutely. All right, well, let's move on with the next match, if I can bring up my stuff because I just forgot about it. Uh, lost my place. All right, yeah, yeah. So we had the best friends, Trent and Chucky T, going against Jack Evans who was trained by the Hart brothers, or, well, I should say, um, oh, man, I forgot which Hart. So he was one of the last guys from the dungeon. I'll just put it that way. It's not Brett that trained him, one of his, I think Bruce is the one who trained him, but also by Brian Alvarez. And then Angelica, who got uh, trained by um, Ultimo Dragon. Both these guys have been on the scene for a while, doing stuff with Lucha Underground, and now they're in a tag team. I like their matching outfit. They were a very fast-paced tag team to counteract Trent and Chucky, who are extremely athletic for their size, but obviously not, you know, luchador, if you will. Um, I thought this was a good match. I thought it was very back and forth, showed off all guys. I thought the thing that was the the what-the-fuck moment was what happened afterwards when the lights went out. You know, us wrestling fans were used to lights coming on and some type of dark, mystical, like, presence or, or something like that is in the ring. And, you know, something scary to an effect. And we got a fat dude with a mask on and some random dude with a beard that's much skinnier. I didn't know who the Super Smash Brothers were. I know a lot about independent wrestling. I didn't know about these guys. I watched some stuff, uh, two matches that they had with the Young Bucks afterwards to get myself included. The really thing that was even more confusing, the lights went out, came back on, and they have a bunch of minions, all various size fucking random-ass dudes that look like, you know, guys that would uh, mow my lawn and shit like that. Just fucking random guys everywhere with masks on, taking out the two tag teams. I guess that was them putting in a little stamp for Super Smash Brothers. That was honestly one of my least favorite things about the pay-per-view. I thought they could have introduced it in a better way or given someone uh, on their roster, maybe like a Jimmy Havoc, a presence with that whole cutscene thing that would have made a little more sense. You know, if you had Jimmy Havoc in there and he devastates the whole fucking group and is like, starts, you know, fucking staple guns, I don't know. They could have done something that would have made a little more sense, I feel, 
because I was completely confused on what the fuck was going on with the whole Super Smash Brothers thing. And when they go to TNT, those guys are going to have to lose that name because I don't think Nintendo is going to be really appreciative about that. Um, maybe it's just me. Not trying to be heavy criticism. I like the match itself, though. Chris, what do you think? I, I like the actual match. I, I'm a little bit on the same page as you with the finish. Like, uh, Well, not the finish, but the aftermath, I should say. Um, I thought the match was really good. And, and, you know, I shit on the spots in the first match a lot, but I thought these were well-timed and looked good. Um, I would say their ring gear kind of matched uh, both tag teams. So, like, try not to do that, I guess. But outside of that, like, the rest of the match I thought was really good. And um, I think the minions are supposed to be, like, delirious from Ring of Honor, you know, the booker. I think that is the gimmick for them. But I'm the same as you. Like, I, I, I wasn't huge in Super Smash Brothers before they came. And, uh, and the even the crowd that was – <laughs> the commentary didn't help, and also the crowd didn't really seem like they knew who they were, which is bad for for that crowd, for what they were going for. It was just like, hey, it's these dudes, and they didn't really pop for it. But uh, I, outside of that, I, I mean, the match itself was really good and really entertaining and a lot of fun. And uh, the little delirious minions were, you know, it is what it is, but you got to give us an explanation of why they have minions at some point. And uh, we're not going to get any – I mean, it's it's hard to really shit on because they don't have TV right now, and this is their very first show. If they had TV, they would have like a you know six-week buildup of why these guys are minions, but they they don't have that. They just have – you know, they have the pay-per-view, so, so it's kind of a weird spot, but uh, the match itself I liked, like I said. That, yeah, and that kind of coincides with what I was saying before. It's, it's knowing that, yes, you do have this diehard audience, but if you want to build this past this, you kind of have to have some type of explanation. Obviously, they don't have a buildup, and their commentating team is new, trying to form their rhythm and everything, so it's going to be wonky. But I think the next, I think that we can agree the next four matches really built this pay-per-view and sent it home in a very positive manner. And so now I'm going to completely fuck up a bunch of wonderful female wrestlers' names. I apologize. I will try my hardest to make sure I do this right, but um, Hikaru uh, Shida, Riho Abi, and Ryo Musunami went against Asha Kong, uh, Yuka Sakazaki, and Emi Sakura. God, I, I, I think I did a good job. I have no idea. You did um, a really good job, but there's only one name you really need to know in this match, and it's Asia fucking Kong. <laughs> If I'm being honest. Absolutely. I feel bad. Uh, Chris, the other person that stood out, which one was the uh, female that was doing the Freddie Mercury gimmick? I thought she was awesome. Do you I, remember? I thought she was awesome, too. I, um, I, I, I can't pronounce her name, so I'm not going to try to botch it. But they obviously gave her, you're the biggest person on this team. You have to wrestle Asha Kong the entire time gimmick. And it was, yep. I mean, I love this match. And Aja Kong came out, and I was like, I haven't seen her wrestling for fucking forever. Dude, she's like, like I, I remember her versus, hater. yeah, I, like, I remember her versus, like, Bull Nakano. Like, that's like, yep. from the trait-tating days. That's what hey, I JR remember. And I, was, and, uh, and I was pumped that he actually acknowledged, like, hey, Bull Nakano, and we're going to talk about this. I, I love that. I hope they continue to do that on commentary and stuff. And that, that's one reason I like love Jr. is that he if you will let him say stuff like that he will he's a wrestling historian he's like you know him and Jim Cornette 
are probably, I guess, Meltzer as well, or three of the biggest. You're forgetting about Shemwin Elch. (laughs) I mean, as far as that time period, they're the biggest historians the wrestling business has, in my opinion. I can't think of anyone else. Yep. And uh, for him to say something like Bull Nakano and and like bring that stuff up, and also Asha Kong was. Fucking awesome in this match. I I did not expect it. I thought it was going to be kind of similar to Awesome Kong, who did a lot of stuff, and she's older and her body's kind of broken down. But they she hit good spots. We need a battle of the Kongs. Yeah, Asia Kong came out and she's like, "No, this is normal day for me." (laughs) We had a great fucking match and was perfect in her spot. And yelled at the timekeeper, which is the greatest thing of all time. I was about to say. (laughs) Did anyone notice that where she went off on the timekeeper for fucking up? Oh, wow. But they handled that great. It was a minor fuck up. It happens. Shit happens. The referee was very firm. Like, no, I said two. And they kept on going. Didn't make a big deal. Yes, the audience kind of gave him shit. And yes, Asha Kong looked like she was about to fucking destroy the person. But just we got we to go. We're going to take a little bit of a veer here because WWE fucks this shit up all the time. If your referee says that that's not the end of the match, it's not the end of the fucking match. They just did this with Samoa Joe and Rey Mysterio. Like, yep. or, or the um, Ronda shit, which was very controversial. The referee can be like, this is not the end of the match. So props to AEW and that referee for fucking handling the situation properly. And also props for Asia Kong looking like she was about to tear the poor timekeeper apart. I think it was Tom Phillips that was sitting next to him. He just pointed at him. He was like, it wasn't me, dude. <laughs> like, don't fuck with me. I'm not trying to get my ass beat by Asia Kong today. <laughs> she looks awesome. And I, I want Kong versus Kong. And I want Britt Baker versus Asia Kong. So I hope that they continue to build Asia because she's, she's great. This will probably be her last, like, run in the sun kind of thing. But I, I, I popped so hard when she just started beating the shit out of people i was like man this is awesome and uh, my wife's watching with me and she's like so this is what like good female wrestling looks like and i was like yes and wwe has good female wrestling but outside of like sasha and charlotte they haven't really given us much to talk about recently i mean it was fun watching ronda like bitch toss triple h but like as far as like quality matches like i went that three-way was fine it was what it was but this match was fucking awesome um. So yeah, and I think that a lot of us perked up when we heard a certain name of Bull Nakano. Man, I know that I, I I'm pretty sure she's like fifty fifty one. I know she has a uh, pretty good golf career right now, but she's beautiful. She's still in shape. It would be really awesome if we could just get her some type of interaction with her. Um, I I don't even know if Medusa's still doing stuff. There are some older talent like Aja Kong. And, uh, you know, well, another Kong, Awesome Kong, that they can do some stuff with with the female division just to put them more on the map. Not so much putting on fucking killer matches or anything like that, but being a badass, dominant part of that whole thing. So we'll have to wait in the future. Um, let's get yeah, on to the rest and, of this. And, uh, before we move, I, I know I interrupted twice, but Ronda Rousey did Bull Nakano makeup, and they didn't fucking acknowledge no it was Bull Nakano. Which would have fucking helped her, and everyone shit all over it. Like the entire thing was like, I'm trying to do a different version of a bull Nakano, oh. oh, and because oh. they didn't mean, acknowledge it on commentary. Fans. You mean wrestling fans that are, not, are are like, oh, you're so not a wrestling fan, and I'm gonna make fun of your makeup, but I don't even know it comes from 
one of the biggest Japanese female fucking wrestlers of all time. But I'm such a smart mark. Beam. I mean, it was it, it was very shit. much like a Luna Vachon, Bull Nakano fucking thing, and they should have acknowledged it on commentary. If you didn't want to say Bull Nakano, you should have acknowledged like Luna Vachon or something, and they just yeah. ignored it. And that and, and you pointed out when Jim when you give Jr. the mic and you let him actually do the commentary he wants to do, he's fucking great. He was great in that match. He's telling you stories. They're spinning tells about these wrestlers that we like. I some of them I've never seen, and he was fucking awesome because he's Jr. And if you let Jr. be Jr., he's the best. <laughs> and it was fucking great. I love the Bull Nakano comment because I was like, why did Co- like Corey Graves should have been like, she's got the Bull Nakano. That's all it would take, and then people wouldn't have shit on her makeup because they're like, oh, she's doing an homage to this. But instead, WWE's yep. like, ah, fuck it. Let's just ignore the fact that she wants to do this. And she's already wearing a fucking Roddy Piper skirt. Why the fuck would you not? I, All right, I digress, but <laughs> you get what I'm saying. JR's off. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. JR is great. And uh, I think he did a great job commentating this next match. I think he was a pers- perfect person. This is basically where JR really came out and shined. I think the commentary really got together these last things. And I'm, I'm not trying to throw shots at Alex, Alex Marvez. It's just they wanted a, a sports-related commentator, and, you know, he's new to wrestling. You know, he's going to get better. He's got to get better rhythm. I think that Scalibur is really good straight down the middle of just calling everything. JR is really good at highlighting stuff and putting his expert, extra expertise in there, the dramatics that he can add to it. If Alex is going to be a sports guy, and we've had people like <laughs> Tony Schiavone that can do that. We've had people like Mike Tanay that can do that really well, especially like being that sports guy, more sports-driven announcer that gives it that more realistic feel, you know, or even even I know that you're not the biggest fan of him, but more Ornallo with all this pop stuff. He makes it – he legitimizes some of the stuff because of the fact that he's been a part of other different things. And uh, Alex has definitely got his, he had his game together because them not having a heel commentator also, I think, kind of hurts them a bit. But this next match, great commentary, great match. I think the match of the night. Sorry for that that clap. It just excited me so much. Cody went against Dustin Rhodes. They had a fucking bloodbath. They just they were killing each other. And Cody, this is probably his best wrestling performance. Dustin said this is his. I don't know about that. He's had some great wrestling matches. It might be as, as, as when it comes physically, wrestling wise. You know, this is the first five star match that singles because I know that War Games Dustin was a part of before. But as far as single wise, this is his first five star match. Him and Cody kicked the shit out of each other. Dustin fucking caught a gusher uh, with that whole spot, him going into the exposed uh, middle turnbuckle, going under the ring a little bit, cutting himself open, and my lord, the mixture of the sweat with the makeup, with the blood, just constantly was a little bit unsettling, but these guys told a great story. There were times where they didn't want to finish the match. Dustin to Cody, more so because it was his little brother. Cody to Dustin to teach him a lesson when he fucking nailed him with the avertebraker. Cody did a vertebraker to Dustin, uh, went for a 10 count, and picked him up by the end of the 10. Um, you know, they went back and forth, multiple crossroads, doing each other's moves, great exchange. Um, but inevitably, Cody hit the crossroads to win the match. I thought this match was fucking awesome. I thought this match was fucking awesome. Um yeah, and we already talked about Cody with the sledgehammer at the beginning. 
But I thought that was kind of cheesy. I didn't really personally need that. I thought the match itself spoke for itself and showed what type of fucking wrestling we're going to get. Very inspired by, you know, early 80s wrestling, just in general. And I thought it was incredible. And I thought it was a great match. I loved afterwards. Cody kind of came up uh, and told Dustin, you know, a very – you can find the interview or the, uh, the original promo with his father. But when Dusty's talking to Dustin in the early 90s saying, I need my son, uh, you know, it was a beautiful follow-up with uh, him telling Dustin that he needs his brother. He doesn't need just a friend, a partner. He needs his brother. And now we're going to get the two of them together. This is something that a lot of us saw coming, and I hope it plays out very similar to what I see in my head. And I know these guys at least no long-term booking. We'll see what they do with their product. But I think that they can have a really good story going forward with the two of them that can have ups and downs as far as them turning on each other and play towards, you know, later in this year. Because Dustin was about to put up his boots, and Cody stopped him and asked him to go against the Young Bucks with him. So we're going to see that at Fight for the Fallen. Chris, what do you think about this match? I thought this is my favorite match of the entire year. And I'll tell you, and it's because I'm kind of an old school wrestling fan. They got in the fucking ring and they told a story. And by the end of that story, you think Cody's going to hit the heel turn with this promo. He's like, I don't need you. I don't need a friend. I need a brother. It was fucking great. And I loved it. I love the dusty chance. Shout out to that crowd. I thought the entire match was awesome. I like that Cody smashed the throne because the uh, the idea is he's coming in as a fucking heel, but at the end he's leaving as a baby face, which to me worked out perfectly if you look at the entire structure. I thought this is one of like the best angles slash work matches I've seen since like Gargano and Ciampa as far as like, hey, we're going to book this shit for the future. I thought it was really, really well done. It's nothing that surprised us because this is kind of what we thought was going to happen, but it was – so well done. I like the gig spot off the turnbuckle, the blood showing the difference between you and WWE. I, and honestly, you could not, Dustin is the natural in WCW. He was the natural, like him and Austin had bangers like Pillman, Austin, like against those guys, he was this guy. And I haven't seen that guy in a long time. Maybe him and, uh, him and Roddy with their street fight. I guess you could see that. Um, I, I fucking love this match. I really did. And I, I love the fact they're a tag team. I'm excited to see them play, uh, go against the Young Bucks. I cannot gush more over this match. It's not my favorite match of all time or anything, but, like, as far as this year is concerned, it was my favorite fucking match because it's, it's, it's a big match in the middle of your card on your very first pay-per-view, brother versus brother, and it was fucking great. And you know what the worst part is? WWE had the chance to do this when Dusty was still alive and somehow fucked it up. Like, <laughs> they could have had the same exact match with the same exact response, but with Dusty being there, so a bigger response, and they somehow fucked it up. They built to it, and they built to it, and they built to it, and they just didn't give it to us. And that's so goddamn frustrating. And I'm so glad that Cody and Dustin were able to go out there and have this fucking great of a match at Dustin's age and Cody's age, and they're going to go wrestle the Young Bucks, and they're going to choreograph and build that match to oblivion. It's going to be fucking amazing, and I'm really looking forward to it. And I thought they told a wrestling story. At the end of the day, that's all I want. I want a clear-cut good guy, a clear-cut bad guy, why you want to beat his ass, and they did that, both through their promos, through the entrance, 
through the fight itself with, you know, Brandy getting involved and trying to cheat, and then the turn. Because at this oh, point, DDP. Cody Rhodes is a fucking baby face. DDP. This match was fucking great. Earl Hibner was there. He's like 175 years old. I'm pretty sure he went to high school with Moses. And it was awesome. I fucking loved it. JR on commentary. Are you fucking kidding me? This match was fucking awesome. I, I know people are like looking at it for like the wrestling work and shit as far as being a five star match or six star, whatever the fuck, the Meltzer scale. But if you really look at this match as a wrestling match, it has shades of Sean versus Rick. Where it's like, yeah, I mean, it wasn't the best in ring thing I ever saw. It was the story. The end of Ric Flair. The I love you. But then the swerve at the end where he's like, I need my brother as a tag team partner. It's fucking brilliant. This is what wrestling should be. And I'm sorry to be so fucking passionate about this right now, but I love good fucking wrestling. And that was good yep. fucking wrestling. <laughs> yep. I agree. All right. Well, we got to move on. But that was, I think, just an incredible match. And me and you, I mean, I don't think they necessarily outdid that match. But me and you are like, how the fuck is these next two matches going to be able to go on? And I think both of the, all three of the last matches really stood out by themselves. There's three different types of matches, all extremely well worked, and all of them were fucking fun matches, and none of them looked weak, especially coming after that match. So uh, we had Bret Hart show up to unveil the AEW championship, uh, but he was interrupted by MJF after bringing out uh, Hangman Page. MJF, God, another guy just – just killing with with his stuff, you know, being, even saying stuff to Brett that Brett was laughing at. Like, you could tell Brett was like, wow, this kid's actually, he's got some, uh, he's got some mic skills. Because he was like, oh, hey, look behind hey, Brett, you. Someone's there's a going fan chasing you. you. <laughs> yeah. Just hilarious. Just kidding. And, and just giving Adam Page so much crap. And then, you know, and then, you know, we kind of see where their, their second tier is with who comes out with Jungle Boy and then Jimmy Havoc could come out to take him out to give them a little bit of an intro. If you didn't watch the pre-show, these guys are going to be big select wrestlers. If we have Kenny and, and, and Chris and even Adam coming into this and, and, uh, and, and, and Cody and John Moxley all at the top level, right underneath them that we're building are going to be these dudes. Uh, and great. I'm looking forward to more interaction. Jimmy Havoc looks scary as hell coming out. Um, so I like the title itself too. Uh, very, it gave me, it gave me a, a look of a mix of the old uh, gold belt uh, from WCW, the world championship belt itself, um, mixed with the UFC belt, mixed with the IWGP current belt. I thought it was very cool, classic looking, and I'm excited to seeing what happens with it. And <laughs> apparently it was supposed to be Ric Flair, but due to the uh, health issues, Rick wasn't able to make it. But a good replacement of who is going to show it, another kind of, no, uh, uh, accidental quote-unquote stab at WWE with Bret the Hitman Hart, who just got reinducted for the second time with WWE, is now premiering a couple months later the new title for AEW. What did you think of the belt, Chris? I thought the belt looked amazing, and when you were like, I almost, I thought you were going to say pop the chub for that belt, because I think the belt looks great. It looks important, especially if you compare it to, like, the WWE title or the Universal title. It, it just... In comparison, it's like that thing seems important. People should try to win matches to get that thing. And that's all I hope for uh, for from that belt. And I, I wish they would have done it before the show. Honestly, like here's the belt. Um, I liked 
them building stars. I, you know, I hate these fucking long talking segments, but this is one that worked for me. Other than Brett was like kind of giggling and uh, being a little, just not wrestling Brett, but Brett, you know, uh, during like these people are fucking brawling, using the ring like with the belt on his shoulder. There's some production aspects of it I didn't like as much. Uh, that I think WWE would have probably done a little better just production-wise. Like, you film away from Brett standing in the ring with a belt while you're having this brawl. Instead, they zoomed out. Like, that kind of – that's nitpicky, though. But as far as, like, I'm going to introduce these stars. These are going to be our guys. Having Jungle Boy there, MJF, like I said, I thought he was fucking nice. The entire pay-per-view, I thought he was fucking great. Um, I, I, I just look forward to the next thing, man. Like, I, I – you know, if you can't get Rick, Brett's a damn good replacement considering if you want to, if you're going, if uh, my assumption is they're going for the WCW thing, they're going to bring Rick in because Rick is by far the best champion WCW ever had. And instead they brought in Brett, which is kind of funny because Brett's career kind of fucking died on a hill in WW or WCW. And it, uh, to me, it was a great moment and a direct shot at, uh, at WWE, and I liked it. I, I kind of wish I'd have got more of wrestling Brett instead of just like, oh, yeah, I'm Brett kind of thing. But outside of that, you know, no complaints about it. You know, uh, here's the uh, the new belt, and uh, it's uh, it's made out of gold, and it uh, got AEW on it. And uh, all right, let's let's get to the next match. Um, that was terrible, Bret Hart. I'm usually good about that. All right, we have the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson, going against the Lucha Brothers, Pentagon Jr. and Ray Phoenix. Uh, so kind of the story throughout the match, and they've kind of been doing this. That's one thing. I think they recycled the storyline that they previously had. Like, hey, we're kind of – beforehand, they were having problems because of the disbandment of uh, the Bullet Club. But they were having problems, you know, connecting with each other and kind of screwing each other up. And it was like, now we've had a break. They kind of did a similar concept within this. So I thought, Chris, that that meant that they were going to lose the match. But my Lord, um, they end up retaining the uh, AAA titles, uh, which were on the line, if I did not mention that. Um, but I love, I love Pentagon. He's probably one of my favorite wrestlers up and coming. And I've been saying that for a long time. I think Matt, Matt Jackson's incredible, uh, especially his strength for his size. But the real fucking uh, MVPs in this are Nick Jackson and Ray Phoenix. They fucking did some stuff throughout this match that you could tell Nick especially was like, all right, fuck this, Matt. You know, last time we got, we got shorted with all in. We're getting our shit in with this. And aside from some of the selling things I said earlier, my Lord, the way that Nick and Ray can move is incredible. I, Nick did something where he took out one guy and then flipped over the ropes and did a backflip all in one sequence flawlessly uh, to the outside. And, and Ray Phoenix was just defying gravity as well. All of them did great. This is a great fucking match. The Bucks won the match with the Meltzer driver on Phoenix to end it. Chris, what'd you think? Very surprised by the crowd reaction to Ray Phoenix. I felt like he was the most over person in this match, which was kind of crazy. Every spot he hit, the crowd popped for, which is fucking great for them because I, I, I love the Lucha Brothers. I also love, you know, Pentagon and, and Lucha Underground, one of my favorite characters, and, uh, like, just in general, like, his stuff in Lucha was great. Um, I thought this was a fucking phenomenal match. Uh, as far as, like, 
in the selling and stuff, they they sped stuff up a little bit here and there, but it wasn't anything that was atrocious. Like that first match to me was like way. See, it doesn't seem like a spot fest if you do it well. <laughs> is what I'm getting at. And they fucking did it well. Nick and Ray, you're 100% right. They were the best people in this match on this night. They may not be the best wrestlers <laughs> in their team or whatever, but on that night, that day, they were the fucking best. They were the highlights of that entire shit. And, uh, you know, I'm fine with the Young Bucks winning because you have to have the Young Bucks win so you can set up Cody and, and Dustin versus the Young Bucks. So I don't I have a problem with that. And you have Lucha chasing it. And it's not like the Lucha brothers got dicked or, you know, like smashed or anything. They had a really competitive match with a tag team that's won every title in the entire world outside of the fucking WWE titles. So them lo- losing kind of just means like, hey, we're going to go at it again. And I look forward to that. Like, this entire show was fucking great, by the way. <laughs> but I, I, I uh, the Lucha Brothers are amazing, amazing, and I'm I want them separated, but I don't. It's kind of a weird. That's how I. It's just a weird thing yeah. with them. But uh, yeah, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed this tag match. And they did the anti WWE thing where they're like, we're gonna give you something very boring after this you know, Dustin Cody match. Instead, they were like, we're going to give you a tag team match and it's going to be fucking great. And you know what? I really appreciated that. It was awesome. They didn't worry about like, maybe the crowd will be exhausted and have to think about like, whether they want to go get a beer or not. They didn't need to do that because the match was that good. I completely agree. And I also agree, dude, about the Lucha Brothers thing. I mean, the, the thing that's just hard to kind of uh, realize is that you have a brother group, and I mean you have another one too that's pretty incredible with Dragon Lee, um, Roosh, and Mystico. Uh, they're three brothers, but Phoenix is like the modern Rey Mysterio, especially to the Mexican audience. That's how he is. And even though La Parka might not have been so big over to the American audience, we just know him from WCW, LA Park is huge. And these are like the modern. If Rey Mysterio and L.A. Park were brothers and they were on a tag team back in the day in Mexico, that's how dominated these guys are, single stars and also as a tag team, just as their reception within the industry. So it's, uh, it, it's crazy, I think, when it comes to all that. Um, but, yeah, just incredible match, man, and um, looking forward to seeing more of them. Uh, we had a match to finish the night uh, with Y2J, Chris Jericho, going against Kenny Omega. And I think a lot of people, uh, aside from me, as soon as Adam Page won the Battle Royal, I'm like, Kenny's losing. Uh, Adam's got to get built up by a heel. Whether or not they decide to put Jericho over, regardless, is going to help Hangman. Um, so, you know, I, I assume that that was what well, they were going to go getting- for. So. I'm going to give us a little bit of credit because once they announced that Okada match, me and you both thought he was winning because we didn't talk about oh, that yeah, on the show. That too. Because that too. And anyone, anyone who thinks about thinks like that, uh, Jared, as much as I think it would be a cool thing, I, there's no way in fucking hell I see it happening. There's like a whole thing now, Chris, about like, wouldn't it be awesome? And it, yeah, it would be kind of cool if Jericho beat Okada for the IWGP belt and then won the fucking AEW belt and had both of them. Yeah, it would be an awesome notch on Jericho's belt uh, as, with a long career of fucking amazingness and very reflecting of him having the uh, WWE title and the world title. But I would not 
expect that to happen. I think that him and Okada is kind of ending the relationship with Jericho with New Japan uh, because it's been very firm in place. I forgot which person from New Japan said it. They have a working relationship with Ring of Honor. They're allowing John Moxley to come over and do some dates, but there's no real big working relationship with AEW. They just are finishing up Kenny and Chris Jericho for their stuff and then utilizing John Moxley for a couple shows because that was at the request of John with signing with AEW. So just wanted to kind of clear that up. But um, so, yeah, man, this is uh, one, one hell of a match. Yeah, a little bit of spoilers. I'm pretty sure John Moxley is going to be in G1. Uh, the way he was talking about doing something to challenge himself, doing something overseas, doing that stuff during that uh, podcast was very specifically aimed at, I want to go do something very cool. So he could end up at G1. And it's not far-fetched. I know it, I, to me it sounds crazy because like you just, I love Okada, so you just keep the title on him forever. <laughs> but Jericho could That's win. He's I got am. five dates left. He's got five dates left. He could win, and then you could do Kota Bushi versus Jericho and put the title on Kota and have Okada chase it. And I don't think that's very like crazy to say because at the end of the day, he hasn't won the AEW title yet. He could have the IWGP and lose and then come in battered and beaten and lose, and then he could do a setup match afterwards. So there's a lot of really cool shit New Japan could do I mean, if I'm New Japan, I'm having Okada kill him in two minutes because you don't have a contract with these guys and, and fuck off, basically. <laughs> this is the Tokyo Dome, bitch. <laughs> Okada's going to Rainmaker you for six minutes. But <laughs> at the same time, I, I can definitely see if you're doing smart business and you're booking over a long period of time, you can have Jericho win your title and not be on your shows and take it to Wrestle Kingdom. And have Okada, if you want to do Okada versus Jericho again, you have Okada win G1 against Dean Ambrose. There's so much fun stuff you can do with this, and I love it because it's Gato, so it's going to be really great no matter what they do. <laughs> yep. But there's... Obviously, we're kind, of, we're kind of hoping for eventually, you know, maybe when Ring of Honor and New Japan's their deals up, that we can't have a relationship working with New Japan. But I think this is good that they're already training talent, even though they're technically not you know, connected. Um, we just want to see Okada over here in the main fucking title picture and then reverse, send Kenny back to New Japan for a little while. Whatever you want to do, work it out. We want the company to I interact. Want, I want WWE, sack up, give Okada like $15 million, whatever the fuck it would cost, and have Okada versus Brock and switch managers. Have Paul Heyman be Okada's manager and have Gato be Brock's manager. Can we get this shit done? It would be great. Both prize fighters. Amazing. They'd have a great fucking match. Right. I thought I can drag a match out. We're off in fantasy land. I, I like the ideas. We're off in fantasy land, but we haven't even covered this, and we only have 30 more minutes to cover the rest, or less than that. So, let's get through this match. Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega. Kenny got the fuck knocked out of him the whole entire goddamn time. My lord. Ten minutes in, not even. Jesus. Kenny breaks his nose yeah. and has Chris to do the rest of the fucking match. The corner. Yeah, he stiffed him so hard with that kick. I think it was an accident, but, like, in the corner, that's what broke his nose. Like, two minutes into the match, Chris Jericho stiffs him with a kick and breaks Kenny's nose. And you're like, oh, well, this is going to go well. (laughs) 
And Kenny gets destroyed, smacked in the face a million times, and then gets beaten up by, of course, John Moxley. So the breakdown of the ending, uh, Jericho had already gone many times. He, he, he did the Walls of Jericho. He did the Walls of Jericho into the Lion Tamer. Uh, he did uh, several, you know, it was like Kenny was trading off a V-trigger. Chris Jericho come at him with the, uh, with the um, oh, man, what the hell is his main finisher, Chris? Real quick. Like his the submission is the, like uh, the code breaker, code breaker, the code breaker. Yeah. So they'd be yeah. trading off like basically towards the end code breaker for V trigger. Um, and then he hit the Judas effect, which is a new spinning back elbow. I personally like it guys. I'm sorry. I'm a USC fan. That's a devastating move. They don't even allow. He, the timing was fine for some reason, I guess all these fucking supermarks that watched everything didn't catch the Jericho video where he explained that he was working on this. I thought he set it up right. Yeah, it doesn't look as devastating. I don't – people fucking use a super kick a million goddamn times. I love Okada. He uses a goddamn fucking, you know, clothesline. Now, it looks devastating as shit, and maybe Jericho needs to work on that aspect of it. But the complaints about that, I thought they were a little I, bit fucking ridiculous. Jericho well, wins. I mean, I, Everyone's I, mad I, that Kenny I, loses. I agree with you 100% because the Let me just wrap it up. Let me just wrap it up. Let me just wrap it up. Uh, and then after that, one, two, three, Jericho wins. He wants his thank you. John Moxley enters the building. People start going fucking nuts. And we kind of saw this coming, Chris, but we didn't know, you know, if it was going to happen or not, I think. John comes out, takes out Jericho. Jericho is literally saying, what the fuck are you doing here? Gives him dirty deeds, very much like a stunner, you know, just fast, quick, does it to the ref, waits for Kenny to get up, tries to do it to him. Uh, Kenny pushed him out of the ring. They battle up, uh, get on this, the, these weird, like, uh, chips uh, prop. And gets the dirty deeds on top of that, throws Kenny onto something, uh, part of the stage, breaks it, uh, and that is the end of the night of John Moxley basically showing up, kicking the shit out of everyone, showing that he is AEW for life. Sorry about that. What were you going to say? No, no, you're good. I, w- I was just going to say the back elbow is a great move, and the reason they're doing that is because he needs a non-WWE type move to have that impact with Kenny Omega. And, you know, the thing about Okada versus Omega is you have the Rainmaker and you have the V-Trigger. And now you have the back elbow. If, if, if he can really sense that shit in, it's great. I hated that Shane McMahon did it on Raw. I thought that was fucking, like, we acknowledge you had a show kind of thing. And this is going to be Shane's new finisher as well. Um, but I, I love that concept. I, I But, you know, if I, if I was Jericho, I'd just do a V-Trigger. Like, just still his finisher kind of thing. Um, and you could do a V-trigger and then do a code breaker into it, which would be great. But I, I, I like the finisher. I like this match a lot. I thought it was not as good as their first match in New Japan. Uh, not as much brawling. They had a, you know, they had a legit wrestling match, but they had hard competition. The two matches before it were so fucking great. Um, but John Moxley coming out at the end, dude, like... Holy it was shit. amazing to see him so happy to be wrestling. I will say that. Like, he came out. It, it wasn't like, hey, I'm here, and I'm doing a shield thing, and I'm kind of just rubbing my face and doing my, Dude, John, he was into my Dean Ambrose gimmick. He was doing, like, the sweet child of mine fucking dance maneuvers and shit. I thought it was fucking awesome. I loved it. It was fucking great. And him hitting Kenny Omega with it is perfect because that's your money match. And, like, anyone who's yep. like, oh, that's not a big name was, like, 
Yeah, well, WWE tried to pay him like five fucking million dollars or whatever to go to WWE, like recently. Well, twice actually. If you go back to that first Royal Rumble, like they not five million. That's an exaggeration, but they they know Kenny Omega is a name. Let's just say that. And that that moment was amazing. Good on John. I'm glad he's happy. I'm looking. I love the John Moxley promo afterwards. I thought it was fucking great. I think. Dane, you smell like the inside of my mom's purse. Like, I'm really looking forward to good John Moxley again. He got to WWE. I'm like, all right, they're going to call him Lunatic Friends. They're going to let him cut promos. But instead, as he talked about on that podcast, they just gave him bullshit to read. And you don't need that with him. I mean, he's not the best in-ring performer to me. Like, he's he's good. He's serviceable and shit. But his promos were amazing in CZW. So the one thing that they fucked up <laughs> – was his promos, which is absolutely crazy. And he cuts his promo after this event. It's incredible. I'm looking forward <laughs> to what he does next. And I definitely hope he's in G1 because, like, Gene Ambrose versus NATO will be oh, my amazing. God. Oh, my God. You got two guys that are so similar but also different. It would be so amazing to see the two of them. Oh, wow. Uh, and also, that was announced afterwards, very much so. We didn't expect it. Now NATO is going against Juice Robinson for the NX, for the NXT for the New Japan um, U.S. title. So that's a big deal. We're going to see him over there. And Kenny Omega had a statement to say that he's basically really excited about going against Dean Ambrose because he's so John Moxley. Sorry about that. So excited about going against John Moxley. I'm so used to saying that because of the different style. It's like he's got to adapt and do something completely different for him. He said, so now that Moxley's part of AEW and I get to take my first crack at him, I feel like maybe that is in my wheelhouse too, and it'll be just as exciting for me as it is for the fans. So now I've really got something to train for because I can't lose to a guy who came from that place. Pulling a little heel Kenny at the end, uh, but – you know, I, I, I like that. And I definitely think that you're right. I think Kenny's going to be the baby face. John Moxley's going to be the heel. But people are going to want him to be the anti-hero. I mean, the fact that he got a phone call right after, you know, I think it was like the next day after he just did this Chris Jericho interview that we're going to be able to talk about a little bit now. Um, Stone Cold Steve Austin hit him up. And, you know, he didn't really emphasize what Austin said to him, but he said, this is John Moxley. This is a really good day. I had a good workout this morning, got back. I was sitting outside, and guess who I got a call from this afternoon? Stone Cold Steve Austin. We shot, uh, we shot the stuff for 30 minutes and had a great conversation. I grew up as a 90s wrestling fan. So any day you get a call from Stone Cold Steve Austin, that's a really good day. And apparently uh, John's going to be on the Austin podcast once he's, uh, you know, he's taking a break from it for a while. He's, like, redoing some stuff. But once it relaunches, he wants John to be, if not the first interview, one of the first interviews on his um, on the uh, Austin podcast. That should be another great one. Because if you look at it, I want to say that Austin, you know, a lot of pop people thought that, you know, Steve was being a dick when he had Dean on his show back in the day. He was a champion. But he basically said, like, it, it doesn't, you know, you know, I, I think what Steve was trying to do, basically, Chris, is light a fire under Dean's ass. And that might have been one of the many things that really got in his head of, you know, I need to get the fuck either going or out of here and figure out where the hell I'm at. Because he basically said that you, you seem complacent was what Austin kind of alluded to. 
And I feel like this conversation was like, that's what I'm fucking talking about, kid. He probably called him was like, that's what you fucking need to do. And the fact that he's kind of, I mean, you're going to get these comparisons because these guys are influencing him very much by Kevin Owens. You know, he's got a little bit of Austin in him somewhere, but he's very much different and by himself. You know, Dean's got a little bit of Piper in him. He's got a little bit of Austin in him, but he's got a lot of himself into it too, which is good. But I think it's good and very reassuring. And Stevie even said recently in interviews, any of the guys going to AEW, if you think that you can make money, you know, or, or build your brand and you are happy being within the WWE, get out. Go go reinvest yourself and get back in the WWE or go out and, into some type of platform like AEW and make your money just or raise your stock. That's what he kind of said, and it makes a lot of uh, sense. Um, you know, and the next question we'll go into the Jericho stuff, but what do you think about Kenny's statement – you know, uh, John Moxley saying how he talked to Austin and, you know, kind of Austin's attitude with AEW being another guy from WWE that's saying, if you don't want to fucking be WWE, get out there. You can make more money and be happier then if you want to fucking do that. Much like how he was and Jericho was with WCW at their different times. I fucking love Austin <laughs> very much. And I think that first podcast was Unfortunately, because that was one of the WWE Network podcasts, I think that had a lot to do with it. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing him have an actual conversation with this guy on the Uncensored podcast. And uh, he's, he, you know, he kind of did the same thing with Brock a little bit. I think that's if you're doing this shit on the WWE Network, which they canceled, which was his podcast on the WWE Network you're going to get a different response because now you're working for WWE. So you can't really say what you want to say, but hearing John Moxley on the fucking uh, Jericho podcast, having him with Austin, Austin is going to be, it's going to be a great interview and Austin's going to ask him shit that he doesn't want to answer really, which will be fun. Like, what did you hate the most kind of thing? Cause and then, like, if, uh, you know, if he doesn't want to do it, Austin will backpedal and be like, well, I took my title and went home. He's like, I wasn't going to lose to Brock. It's not going to happen. People forget that Austin did that shit. Like, as, as yep. we have these, these wrestlers that didn't want to do something and they just are leaving now, Austin was the first fucking person to do it. The difference is Austin was their heavyweight champion, and he's Stone Cold fucking Steve Austin. Um, yeah, that entire thing is crazy. I like the Kenny interview. I think it's great. I do think they're setting something up for G1. And uh, I know I know I don't think he's going to be in G1. I think Dean's going to be in G1, um, and they'll you know prop AEW up a little bit. But I'm not completely sold that New Japan and AEW aren't already in the works of a contract deal once this Ring of Honor thing uh, ends. And I think it's very smart how AEW signing people. They're like, you want this many days in Japan? I got you. I'll sign you because that's what they did with Moxley. Which is fuck. It's very smart. It's the same thing Impact does. Like, you want to go work Ring of Honor, you can go work Ring of Honor. Like, uh, the whole independent contractor thing with WWE doesn't mean shit if you can't actually go wrestle other places. So, I I like that they're you know putting that out there. But yeah, like I don't know. Moxley's gonna be huge. I hope him versus NATO. At some point in G1, I think that'll be great. Um, 
And, uh, you know, Jericho taking the title off uh, off Okada is not out of the picture because Okada's already had like a 900 or was like 800 and something day title run. It's not like it's going to hurt him if he loses the title. So I just feel it's, like it's if interesting they do stuff. That, if they do that, it, it's the IWGP does not, uh, their, their World Heavyweight title is not going to be hot shotted because it just diminishes the value and it kind of has been as of recently. So that that's the only thing that kind of, but if Jericho wins it, I mean, guys, honestly, the idea of, like, Jericho back in the day with the pose of the WCW World Heavyweight Belt and the WWE Heavyweight Belt in that same picture, and then if you modernize it with him with the IWGP and the AEW, yeah, that's a great visual image. I love Chris Jericho. I just don't know if I necessarily need it or if he necessarily needs it, too, but we'll see. I mean, who knows what can happen. I just want to – all right, so what I'll give – We'll get the first 30 minutes to really break this down. I will kind of go in and get, like, certain parts from it. But overall, Chris, the Chris Jericho interview with John Moxley, the emancipation of Dean Ambrose, or the emancipation of John Moxley was the name of it. What the fuck did you think hearing all this stuff from Ambrose? You know, like I said, we'll go in 30 minutes of this really deep, or at least the first part of our show on Wednesday – but what did you think about this interview itself? Was it reassuring? I mean, similar to CM Punk's, just not as bitter, basically. But just mu- saying what we kind of know is that Vince runs everything. All the writers try to appease Vince. They micromanage. They get micromanage the shit out of the wrestlers from Vince, and they kind of try to build the characters of what Vince thinks instead of allowing the wrestlers to be wrestlers and killing their creative process. I think they should have called it the emancipation of podcasters basically like me you dave Meltzler, brian alvarez jim Cornette. i mean that's what it was it was almost vindication for us saying they're booking him terrible because he's fucking leaving and uh they brought him back as a heel it was awful um then they gave him a little run to try to get the contract done that's what i'm assuming that was uh, yeah, just the detail that he went into about showing up, and they're like, "Hey, we're gonna inoculate you on the show," and he's like, "That's the dumbest shit I've heard since you know Glenn Jacobs was Doctor Yankovich." It's what he should have said because it was fucking dumb. And me, you, and like everyone that's a true wrestling fan, uh, we were like, "This is bad," and. It's not surprising. There's a reason why all of this talent wants to leave. But it. But what I will say is that um, I like that he started the podcast out being very positive and talking about what WWE did for his career and how much it actually means to him. I mean, Dean's 33. He, he came in six, seven years ago had a good run. He says Roman Reigns is his friend. He talks about Seth Rollins and, uh, you know, meeting his wife. All of that stuff was great. And then he said, I'm going to do a two-hour burial. And I honestly don't think he buried WWE as hard as he could have. I I thought he was, like, really nice about it. Like, if you work at a job that sucks for a long time and you go to a new job, you're going to want to talk about it a little bit. I Like, you know, I... And and uh, I hate that he said I'm gonna bury him for the next two hours because he really like CM Punk buried WWE, and it was a very different situation. He was a real dick about it, and uh, it ended up with lawsuits. But also like he almost died 
So <laughs> he got that going with that staph infection thing that he had, uh, the lawsuit with Christopher Oman. You can't really – it's it's not the same thing. I, what, what I will say is I, I thought that Dean Ambrose, while saying WWE's creative process sucks, he was also really nice about it in the nicest way possible. You know what I mean? Absolutely. He didn't hold back, but he was still extremely classy about how he did it. Um, it's just, it's, it's unfortunate uh, that it really came to that, but I think that we're going to get a chance for John Moxley to reinvent himself to be at the potential of what, you know, he thinks he should be. And, um, you don't get people that are good with promos, scripted stuff. I don't understand how that works or have to explain why a pooper scooper is not the right line in something. But like I said, kind of want to, before we end it, go over a little bit of the NXT pay, uh, pay-per-view and just kind of cover it. We'll spend, uh, like I said, we'll go in depth more into the Dean Ambrose interview, like I promised, on the Wednesday episode this coming week, 7 p.m. EST. But uh, just for the matches themselves, to kind of break it down for NXT TakeOver, tonight – that I'm really looking forward to. All right, the first one, singles match, that will probably progress the wrestler, I would say, to be in the North American Championship or in the main NXT Championship position. We have Matt Riddle, who I think has been doing great stuff, against Roderick Strong. Um, I think they're building, and this is my kind of just concept throughout the whole thing, of what they've been saying with the Undisputed Era to be all draped in gold. So I think that Roddy might be getting, even maybe through some type of uh, screwjob bullshit with the Undisputed Era getting involved, beating Matt Riddle, and then going against Velveteen Dream and taking the North American Championship from him. So I'm actually going to go with Roderick Strong over Matt Riddle because of some type of bullshit getting involved uh, with the Undisputed Era. What do you think about this match, Chris? I am on the same page with you. I think that uh, – Roderick Strong ends up uh, winning this match. It's a weird scenario. They've kind of booked herself in with the, the relationship between Riddle and Gargano. But that's what I think that's what they have to do booking-wise, so that's where I'm leaning towards. So I guess that kind of gives away um, what I think about the next match. I think American or American Dream. I think the Velveteen Dream is going to have an amazing entrance, and he's going to retain the NXT North American Championship after a great match with Tyler Breeze. And we're going to keep probably Tyler around. I hope in NXT for a while after this still, but I think Dream is going to retain. Do you agree? Agree, hundred percent. I think Tyler Breeze uh, going back to NXT and working that schedule as long as he's not getting fucked on his payday, I think is a really good thing for NXT. It, they shifted a lot of talent to the main roster. They probably actually need on their show, and having Tyler Breeze back is a, is a good move, especially against Velveteen Dream. They kind of did similar gimmicks. Um, obviously, I think Velveteen Dream's like a little better. He's just more charismatic, and he, like I said, I think he could be a he could be like the next Rock if pushed right. He's the guy. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I think it's a fun match. It'll be a lot of fun to watch. I, I definitely think Velveteen wins the match, though. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Velveteen is the guy if they do it correctly. <laughs> and if they don't do it correctly, he might go to somewhere else and they will do it correctly. So uh, the next one I think could steal the, the night, either this or the main event. Oni Lorcan and Danny Birch going against the Street Profits, Angelo Dawkins and Montez Ford against the Undisputed Era, Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish against the Forgotten Sons, Wesley Blake and Steve Cutler. 
They need to get the Forgotten Sons more introduced to the audience. I would love Oni and Danny to win. I think this is going to the Undisputed Era. I can see the Street Profits somehow winning it as well, but I think O'Reilly and Fish will get those tag team championships back. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, Undisputed Era is probably going to take this one. I think and then we have Tina yeah, Baszler I against. Totally agree with you. I'm oh, sorry. We have uh, Baszler versus Io Shirai. I think they're keeping Baszler around for some reason to get the other two girls more elevated, but I think they need to take Baszler out of the picture, put her on the main card by herself, let her become and raise her own stock on the main picture as a badass and a killing machine, and let the other girls spend more time from the horsemen getting developed within the NXT system. Uh, but I think that Shayna's actually going to retain, even though I would love Io Shirai to win the belt. Chris, what do you think? Uh, we don't have a lot of disagreements on the show, which is rare. I, I think Shayna's going to retain, too, because they don't have anything for her to do on the main roster right now. And you might as well keep her in NXT and have a solid female champion. Um, I, I I love Io Shirai. I think she's fucking phenomenal. I just it, it, It's kind of rushed the title for her. And um, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I, I think you're on the right spot with uh, Baszler walking out. And last but not least, we have Johnny Gargano, the NXT champion, going against Adam Cole, baby. Adam Cole won the first out of three falls. He believes that he should have a championship match against Johnny. Johnny's like, screw you. This might be the first time that we uh, have a different opinion. I'm not 100% sure, but I think Adam Cole is actually going to win the NXT championship belt and win it from Johnny. Johnny's had a couple, but not many, uh, title defenses. Shit, he might only have had, like, two. But I feel like Johnny chasing the title against the Undisputed Era, being the sting compared to the four horsemen, is more intriguing than vice versa. So I feel like Johnny, even though I love him, is going to lose, possibly go to Maine, or have a thing against Undisputed Era, because like I said, Adam Cole, Bebe, and company are going to be draped in gold within the next couple months. There's not going to be a breakup. That was a swerve. Maybe to add more story. Maybe Roddy will cause the match for Adam, and they'll keep on going that direction. I hope not, but I think Adam's going to win. Chris, what do you think? I, you know, I thought we were going to disagree on this, but we don't <laughs> completely. Adam Cole, Bebe, I think, you know, gets the title. He deserves it. He earned it, I should say. And um, I feel like they want to move Johnny Gargano up to fill the Sami Zayn babyface spot on the main roster. So uh, unfortunate for Sami Zayn and uh, Johnny Gargano, but I think that's where they're going with it. And, uh, yeah, I think Adam Cole gets the title here, and they move, uh, they move him up to the main. Yep. And since the NXT title hasn't been hop shot, if they want to keep – uh, Johnny in there and eventually get that belt back on him from Adam and whatever. That's fine too. Either way, NXT TakeOver is going to be awesome. We'll cover the results on Wednesday. Check out the show if you're new to it. Wrestling Geeks Alliance every Wednesday, 7 p.m. EST. Uh, another great show with me and Chris. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. It was an awesome show. We'll get into more of the, the uh, John Moxley stuff also on Wednesday. And hey, if you guys want to listen to an awesome show coming on Geek Vibes Nation over on Blog Talk and iTunes and Stitcher and a lot of other platforms, Monday, first show of Monday Stuck, a show in which it will be much more free-formatted sit-down talk of me talking about 
you know, anything when it comes to video games, wrestling, politics, whatever. Check it out Monday, 6 p.m. EST, over on Geek Fives Nation. Thank you guys so much for listening. For me and Chris, we thank you guys, and let the Geek Fives be with you. Have a wonderful weekend, and come and listen to the Monday show and Wednesday, More Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Thank you, guys.